0: Section twenty four of the Final Report from the National Commission on the BP Deepwater Horizon Oil Spill and Offshore Drilling. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. Final Report from the National Commission on the BP Deepwater Horizon Oil Spill and Offshore Drilling. Chapter 8, Part 2 Hazardous Industries Can Become Safer. Even inherently risky businesses can be made much safer given the right motivations and system safety management practices. Civil Aviation and nuclear-fueled electric power are two good examples of industries that have had to manage the risk of catastrophic failures and losses. In the public sector, the U.S. Navy also faced the challenge of improving safety in its nuclear power vessels, and did so. The primary motivation for improving safety, in each instance, is that neither the public, as consumers and as voters, nor the government, would allow such enterprises to operate if they suffered many accidents. People would not board planes if an unacceptable number crashed. The reaction to the contained partial core meltdown at the Three Mile Island power plant in 1979 has kept the industry from expanding in the United States for more than three decades and nuclear submarines carry highly skilled crews and are enormously expensive to build not to mention carrying a fuel source that would pose wide dangers in case of a leak all factors that compel the navy to put a premium on safe practices civil aviation the airline industry for instance is well aware that the industry as a whole suffers if the public lacks trust in the safety of any one company the Federal Aviation Administration, FAA, is responsible for the safety of civil aviation, and the airline industry lends resources to bolster government oversight. The government enhances its oversight abilities by relying heavily on private designated engineering representatives, either consultants or employees of aircraft manufacturers such as Boeing. These engineers work for their employers and may approve or recommend approval of technical data provided to the FAA for the company. It is a good example of industry and government sharing experts. Boeing itself has worked closely with the FAA to improve safety performance. In the 1950s, only 20% of Americans were willing to fly, and there were 14 to 15 major accidents a year. Boeing had a strong incentive to improve performance and attitudes towards aviation if it were to grow its commercial business. Despite an enormous increase, 10 to 20-fold, in airline flight operations between 1955 and 1991, the number of accidents fell to approximately 4 to 5 per year, one-fourth the annual rate in the 1950s. The Nuclear Navy Turning from the skies to the sea, between 1915 and 1963, the U.S. Navy lost about one submarine every three years to non-combat causes. In 1963, when the nuclear-powered USS Thresher was lost during a deep test dive one hundred and twelve navy personnel and seventeen civilians perished the navy investigation found that a deficient silver braze joint in a piping system had failed flooding the engine room the investigation went far beyond immediate causes and found deficient specifications shipbuilding practices and maintenance practices along with inadequate documentation of construction and maintenance actions and deficient operational procedures. After the thresher loss, Admiral Hyman Rickover, then head of the nuclear navy, told his staff to establish a system to ensure that such an accident would never recur. The new sub-safe system was established within 54 days of the loss of the thresher, and no SUBSAFE-certified submarine has since been lost. SUBSAFE has two goals, both crucial for submarines, maintaining the watertight integrity of the hull, and maintaining operability and integrity of critical systems that allow control and recovery from a flooding hazard. The system covers the administrative, organizational, technical, design, Material control, fabrication, testing, work control, auditing, and certification aspects of submarine development and operations. See sidebar. As important as procedures, SubSafe establishes a mindset, in this case, a questioning attitude, and what the officers call chronic uneasiness, summarized in the saying, trust but verify another critical component of subsafe is a separation of powers no simple achievement in an organization as homogeneous and hierarchical as the navy in fact there is always a dynamic tension among the platform program managers responsible for the costs schedule and quality of ships under their control the independent technical authority and the independent safety and quality assurance authority the Nuclear Navy's three-legged stool. The platform managers can select only from a set of acceptable design options to ensure that safety is not traded off for performance. The Technical Authority approves these acceptable options. The Safety Authority is responsible for administering Subsafe and enforcing compliance. Principles of the Naval Subsafe System. TOP MANAGEMENT COMMITMENT TO SAFETY CLEAR AND WRITTEN SAFETY REQUIREMENTS EDUCATION, NOT JUST TRAINING REGULAR REWRITING OF REQUIREMENTS SEPARATION OF POWERS AND ASSIGNMENT OF RESPONSIBILITIES EMPHASIS ON RIGOR, TECHNICAL COMPLIANCE, AND WORK DISCIPLINE DOCUMENTATION, CAPTURING WHAT IS DONE AND WHY IT IS DONE Participatory audit approach and requirements for objective quality evidence. Program based on written procedures, not personality-driven. Continual certification of a facility. Accountability and accompanying responsibility. Special efforts to be vigilant against complacency. Subsafe involves a great deal of certification of design materials fabrication and testing and the overall subsafe certification must be maintained through the life of the vessel audits assure compliance and the audits are treated not so much as exams by outsiders but as constructive learning experiences continuous training and education of personnel are emphasized many of the civilian contracting companies that service the nuclear navy also, service the offshore oil and gas industry, and seem to cope well with the rigorous nature of the subsafe system. Learning from accidents, Exxon, Shell, and Bhopal The Navy learned from the loss of the USS Thresher, and set up an effective safety system. The American oil and gas industry must learn from the loss of the Deepwater Horizon and do the same today. THE EXXON-VALDEZ AFTERMATH Among the oil and gas companies, Mobil's wake-up call came in 1989, when its Exxon-Valdez tanker struck a reef in Prince William Sound, Alaska, and spilled approximately 11 million gallons of crude oil. Until the Deepwater Horizon disaster, this was the biggest spill in U.S. waters, the spill covered thousands of miles of pristine waters in coastal areas killing marine mammals fish and seabirds and damaging the livelihoods of the people who lived and worked in the region a fatigued and overworked crew inadequate safety escort vessels and a single-hulled tanker have been cited among the causes of the accident exxon spent approximately 2.1 billion dollars in cleanup costs and pursuant to a settlement with the united states and alaska agreed to pay a criminal fine of 150 million dollars 125 million of which was forgiven in light of its cleanup efforts 100 million dollars in criminal restitution and 900 million dollars to settle civil claims subject to a reopener provisions allowing for an additional 100 million dollars footnote a private civil lawsuit has been under way for the past two decades a jury initially awarded the plaintiffs two hundred and eighty seven million dollars in actual damages and five billion dollars in punitive damages but the supreme court subsequently ruled that punitive damages could not exceed twice actual damages or five hundred and seven point five million dollars exxon shipping company vs. baker volume 554 u s page 471 2008 and footnote following the spill both government policy and industry practice changed dramatically congress enacted the oil pollution act of 1990 and exxon introduced its operations integrity management system OIMS in 1992. ExxonMobil CEO Rex Tillerson told the Commission's November 9th hearing that OIMS is a rigorous 11-point set of elements designed to identify management and hazard risks. Its framework covers all aspects of safety, including management leadership and accountability, design, construction and maintenance of facilities, emergency preparedness, management of change, assessment of performance, and of course thorough inquiries into accidents and incidents. OIMS guides the activities of each of ExxonMobil's more than 80,000 employees, he continued, as well as our third-party contractors around the world. Over time it has become embedded into everyday work processes at all levels, through OIMS, ExxonMobil monitors, benchmarks, and measures aspects of our safety performance. Its structure and standards are shared and communicated the world over. Safety is not proprietary, Tillerson added, and for this reason ExxonMobil shares its best practices within our industry and across other industries. We seek to learn from others." the reported improvements in the company's safety and environmental performance have been impressive. In 2009, the company reported that it had received a rating of 10 out of 10 from Governance Metrics International, placing it among the top 1% of companies rated. Footnote. Governance Metrics International, GMI, is an independent governance research and ratings firm providing institutional investors an objective way of assessing corporate governance risk as well as governance leaders in their portfolios End footnote. it also reported that it had had no spills from a marine vessel between 2006 and 2009 and that in 2009, it continued to lead the industry with combined employee and contractor workforce lost-time incident rates at best-ever levels. Shell's Safety Response Shell, a long-time leader in Gulf of Mexico operations, before BP surpassed it as described in Chapter 2, had had its own safety problems. Two men died in a gas leak on the company's Brent Bravo platform in 2003. Former Shell senior manager Bill Campbell, who had earlier led a safety review, said after the accident that his 1999 warnings had been ignored by the company. Shell denied that it operated at high levels of risk. Shell subsequently tightened and simplified its safety rules shell also has promoted the use of the safety case worldwide a risk management approach to regulation described in chapter three it has adopted the safety case approach even in the united states where it is not required to do so and has promoted it for the industry more broadly marvin odom president of shell oil company and director of shell's upstream america's business told the commission's november ninth hearing that the safety case in deep water drilling shows how we identify and assess the hazards on a rig how we establish the barriers to prevent and control those hazards how we assign the critical activities needed to maintain the integrity of those barriers odom said that shell also encourages workers to call for work to stop when they suspect that something is proceeding improperly and gives awards to these Goal Zero heroes, referring to the corporate goal of zero accidents. He added that audits are key to safety system, and that in 2009, DuPont administered its safety and culture survey in our drilling organization, comparing us to the world's best across a range of industries. While we ranked world-class overall, improvement areas were identified. Bhopal and Responsible Care The Chemical Industries Responsible Care Initiative was developed in Canada and launched in 1985 after the disastrous 1984 chemical leak in Bhopal, India. It operates in 53 countries and describes itself as the Chemical Industries Global Voluntary Initiative, under which companies through their national associations work together to continuously improve their health, safety, and environmental performance, and communicate with stakeholders about their products and processes in the manufacture and supply of safe and affordable goods that bring real benefits to society. The American Chemistry Council can expel member firms for noncompliance with responsible care subsequent analysis however suggests that the program's success has turned less on the availability of such formal sanctions and more on informal disciplinary mechanisms such as peer pressure and institutional norms of compliance executives from leading firms pressure their non-compliant counterparts at industry meetings to adopt and adhere to the industrial codes of course in drawing lessons from prior accidents it is essential that they be projected beyond the particular circumstances of the accident at hand to guide present and future performance lest government regulators and industry leaders make the classic mistake of preparing to fight the last war as discussed in chapters three and five despite the steps taken in the aftermath of exxon valdez to enhance transportation safety and oil spill response from a tanker spill too little effort was made to take those lessons and apply them more broadly to the risks associated with the future of offshore drilling in the deep water of the gulf industry self-policing as a supplement to government regulation one of the key responsibilities of government is to regulate, to direct the behavior of individuals and institutions according to rules. Many businesses and business groups are involved in internal standard setting, evaluation, and other activities that constitute self-policing or self-regulation. Such oversight can be conducted by a private entity established and supported by an industry, to ensure safe operations by individual members, among other purposes—often because industry leaders recognize that a misstep by any one member necessarily has significant repercussions for them all. But even in industries with strong self-policing, government also needs to be strongly present, providing oversight and or additional regulatory control responsibilities that cannot be abdicated if public safety health and welfare are to be protected the logic of self-policing industry standard setting and self-policing organizations are widespread in the united states and in most industrialized nations typically for operations marked by technical complexity such as the chemical, nuclear power, civil aviation, and oil and gas industries, where government oversight is also present. These processes coexist where there are, as a practical matter, relatively limited numbers of people with the requisite expertise and experience, making it hard for government to be able to rely solely on its own personnel, especially when government cannot compete with private-sector salaries for those experts. Support for standard-setting and self-policing also arises in industries whose reputations depend on the performance of each company and where significant revenues are at stake. Witness both the airline industry's private designated engineering representatives discussed above and the Institute of Nuclear Power Operations, see below. Though the Navy is a government organization, Subsafe is also an example of self-policing to help assure the safety of its nuclear submarines. The Limits of Unregulated Self-Policing Industry self-policing is not a substitute for government, but serves as an important supplement to government oversight and the cost of forgetting that essential premise can be calamitous. In the financial sector, for example, the Securities and Exchange Commission's Consolidated Supervised Entities Program had, in 2004, delegated regulatory risk assessment of global investment bank conglomerates to the banks themselves the program was designed to cover a regulatory gap left by congress amid changes in global finance but it was entirely voluntary four years later securities and exchange commission chairman christopher cox ended the program declaring it a failure indeed fundamentally flawed after companies like bear stearns failed to adequately assess the risk of a sharp downturn in housing prices on their large leveraged investments in mortgage-backed securities a second cautionary tale involves an environmental disaster when political opposition stymied federal and state regulation of toxic coal ash and other residues from power generation the electric utilities that had opposed regulations deferred to the utilities solid wastes activities group's voluntary action plan to manage such wastes the u s environmental protection agency stepped back from regulating such hazards and in 2008 an earthen dam containing coal ash gave way in eastern tennessee releasing more than a billion gallons of coal ash across a large portion of roane county and polluting rivers that carried the hazardous wastes further afield. The Nuclear Model The risk management challenges presented by nuclear power are in some respects analogous to those presented by deep-water drilling, the dependence on highly sophisticated and complex technologies, the low probability, catastrophic consequences nature of the risks generated, AND THE RELATED TENDENCY FOR A CULTURE OF COMPLACENCY TO DEVELOP OVER TIME IN THE ABSENCE OF MAJOR ACCIDENTS. FOR THE NUCLEAR POWER INDUSTRY, IT TOOK A CRISIS, THE PARTIAL MELTDOWN IN 1979 OF THE RADIOACTIVE CORE IN UNIT 2 AT THE THREE-MILE ISLAND NUCLEAR GENERATING STATION, TO PROMPT A TRANSFORMATION OF ITS SAFETY CULTURE but that is what industry accomplished and reportedly with significant positive results for that reason the nuclear power industry's method of transforming business as usual practices offers a useful analog as the oil and gas industry now seeks to do the same more than thirty years later the first recommendation of the president's commission that investigated the root causes of the three mile island accident was directed to the industry, and made clear the extent to which the industry needed to transform its safety culture. The nuclear industry must dramatically change its attitudes towards safety and regulations. The Commission has recommended that the new regulatory agency prescribe strict standards, at the same time, the industry must also set and police its own standards of excellence to ensure the effective management and safe operation of nuclear power plants. Two months later, in December 1979, the nuclear power industry created the Institute of Nuclear Power Operations, INPO, a nonprofit organization with the ambitious mission to promote the highest levels of safety and reliability, to promote excellence in the operation of commercial nuclear power plants. INPO's structure more closely resembles the utilities it regulates than it does the Nuclear Regulatory Commission (NRC), the Federal Regulatory Agency whose work INPO is designed to complement. INPO's president answers to a board of directors consisting of senior industry executives mainly ceos a few years after its founding inpo established its own inspection process based on its studies of what needed inspecting and how to do so today nuclear power plant inspections are thorough but not adversarial because many inpo inspectors are nuclear employees drawn from other power plants a great deal of cross-fertilization of knowledge occurs and strong peer relationships are created inpo's normative system establishes a structured way of thinking about plant operations by translating these matters into the language of responsibility as it spells out what it means to occupy a particular role and what it means to behave in a manner appropriate to that position INSPECTION TEAMS AND PROCEDURES INPO INspection teams usually number about 20 people. One third are permanent full-time inspectors, one third are on loan from the industry for 18 to 24 months, and the remainder are peer evaluators on loan just for that particular inspection, but these cannot be from the utility being inspected. Each of the 66 nuclear sites, encompassing 104 reactors operated by 26 utilities, is inspected every 24 months. Inspectors rotate through assignments. Each inspector averages four to five inspections per year. Besides the major inspection of each site every two years, INPO performs a series of other evaluations and provides other safety-oriented services throughout the year. For example, utilities training programs are evaluated and accredited every 24 months. Importantly, INPO is not the sole source of plant inspections, but instead serves as a significant supplement. Nuclear insurers, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, and the NRC also conduct inspections. INPO coordinates with the NRC and other inspectors to avoid schedule conflicts. Nor is there anything casual about an INPO inspection. It is thorough and careful, extending for five to six weeks, two weeks of preparation and analysis of pre-delivered data from the site, two weeks on the site, a week of internal review and report writing by functional and cross-functional sub-teams, and perhaps another week reviewing with the INPO President. Any lessons learned that are deemed valuable to the rest of the industry are posted on INPO's private online portal, but the name of the site is scrubbed from the text. ALL PLANTS RESPOND TO INPO'S ASSESSMENT REPORTS BY DOCUMENTING ACTIONS PLANNED TO ADDRESS ANY REPORTED PROBLEMS. A POORLY PERFORMING PLANT WILL RECEIVE HIGHER ATTENTION FROM INPO TO SEE IF THE PLANT'S RESPONSIVE ACTIONS ARE ON TRACK. INPO WILL ALSO WORK TO GIVE THEM HELP OR COORDINATE HELP FROM OTHER STATIONS. Furthermore, assessment results are never revealed to anyone other than the utility CEOs and site managers, but INPO formally meets with the NRC four times a year to discuss trends and information of mutual interest, and if INPO has discovered serious problems associated with specific plants, it notifies the NRC. The Performance Evaluation INPO considers at each plant such metrics as consistency of operations, safety system performance, and workers' collective radiation exposure. But its plant performance assessments are the real backbone of its work. These exercises figuratively deconstruct and reconstruct the plants, looking into all aspects of operations, maintenance, and engineering the inspection teams evaluate processes and behaviors that cross organizational boundaries, such as safety culture, self-assessment, corrective action, operating experience, human performance, and training. The performance of operations and training personnel during simulator exercises is included in each evaluation. Where possible, observations of plant startups, shutdowns, and major planned changes are also included. INPO strongly discourages a rule-bound, compliance-oriented approach that would encourage a mentality of ticking boxes. And in fact, its reports are not in checklist form. Many of the risk factors that nuclear companies must deal with are beyond their control. One issue that is clearly within the industry's control is standardization of design requirements, resulting advanced designs and operations. The industry has devoted significant time and resources to this issue over the past few decades. Good practice documents are written with an eye toward processes that are applicable across the industry. From the control room to the CEO INPO directly connects those responsible for the day-to-day operations of nuclear plants with senior management Two INPO industry review groups, which act in an advisory capacity to senior management, enable lower-level employees involved in plant operations to communicate with vice presidents and division directors. Review groups also assess INPO programs and evaluate INPO's performance itself. The existence of these groups reflects INPO's commitment to tie together senior management and lower-level operational employees. INPO's Influence In addition to its individual site evaluations, INPO hosts an industry CEO conference, usually each November, which includes numerous speakers from nuclear organizations and also some non-nuclear companies, with a focus on nuclear safety. During this conference, the INPO president gathers only the 26 utility CEOs in a private room to reveal to all the executives the grades for each site, based on the assessments. These grades range from 1, most favorable, to 5, Approximately forty per cent of the grades are i n p o one forty to fifty per cent are i n p o two and ten to fifteen per cent are i n p o three or four. The last time any site was given a grade of five was in the late nineteen eighties an i n p o five indicates a site with significant operational problems triggering a shutdown, and a grade of i n p o four requires a verbal explanation by the affected ceo on the spot this meeting is not intended to shame or punish but to put the facts on the table ceos with low rated plants typically will describe to their peers what comprehensive actions they are undertaking to address the causes of the problems all ceos recognize that it is in everybody's interest to help the lower performers operate better at the larger dinner, with all conference attendees present, INPO announces and congratulates only the INPO-1 plants. A former chief nuclear officer of a major utility described INPO-1 as equivalent to receiving an Academy Award. Presentation of relative standings before the rest of the industry produces a high level of peer pressure. As one CEO put it, you get the whole top level of the utility industry focused on the poor performer. It also gives the industry the ability to clean out poor management. Because INPO's directors are industry peers, CEOs may become aware of a company taking too much risk and offer to loan people to help the underperformer come up to speed. The Impact on Insurance Premiums Although the Price-Anderson Act limits the liability of those who operate nuclear power plants in the case of an accident, owners of nuclear plants insure through Nuclear Electric Insurance Limited, an industry mutual insurance company, against losses associated with on-site problems such as power interruptions, decontamination and physical property damage, Nuclear Electric Insurance Limited is allowed to visit INPO's office at least once a year to view the assessment ratings, but they are not provided with copies. And like any other insurance company, Nuclear Electric Insurance Limited sets insurance premiums based on its assessment of risk. Sites with top INPO ratings are charged lower premiums than stations with lower ratings. Nuclear Electric Insurance Limited NEIL, requires that license holders be active members of INPO or that they notify NEIL formally and promptly if they stop being a member, and they must show NEIL how they will accomplish a level of oversight equivalent to what INPO provides. This has never occurred. In reality, NEIL's board would quickly discuss removal of insurance coverage should a member choose to drop out of INPO activities. So, utilities have a tremendous financial incentive to carry out INPO's recommendations. Compensation Competitive with Industry INPO has about 400 employees, including about sixty on long-term loan from its member utilities of the total staff and management cadre two hundred and fifty are nuclear technical personnel INPO can do its job only if its employees possess technical expertise at least equal to that possessed by those in the industry INPO is charged with overseeing to a certain extent INPO achieves that standard by relying on experts on loan from industry for extended periods of time but to ensure that inpo's own full-time personnel possess the requisite qualifications industry salaries are benchmarked and inpo provides its employees comparable compensation inpo has therefore not suffered from the expertise gap too often evident with government inspectors witness the issue raised at the founding of the minerals management service as discussed in chapter three inpo can pay these higher salaries because it is not subject to the same budgetary constraints faced by a public agency each utility contributes to inpo's budget based on the number of reactors it owns budgets are approved by inpo's board each autumn INPO's fiscal year 2010 budget was $99,000,000, with more than $100,000,000 budgeted for 2011. INPO Clout and Industry Acceptance INPO's ability to achieve widespread acceptance within the nuclear power industry was not preordained, the new self-policing enterprise had to earn the necessary reputation for fairness and integrity over time. A formative moment in gaining the necessary stature occurred in 1988, when INPO helped bring about the firing of a utility's corporate leadership following a plant shutdown. Beginning in December 1984, INPO inspectors reported pervasive safety problems at Philadelphia Electric's Peach Bottom nuclear plant, including incidents of employees literally sleeping on the job. When INPO was dissatisfied with the plant's response to these concerns, it scheduled more inspections and meetings with Philadelphia Electric officials and sent letters further detailing the depth of its concerns. These concerns prompted the NRC to order a shutdown of the plant, and when Philadelphia Electric submitted a recovery plan to the Commission to restart the plant, an INPO convened industry panel sharply condemned the plan as seriously flawed. INPO and the NRC worked closely and cooperatively, with INPO so harshly criticizing Philadelphia Electric's management that several top executives ultimately lost their jobs. From then on, the message within the industry was clear. INPO has a great deal of clout, and peach bottom became a symbol of INPO's new power. Although INPO has its detractors, Footnote the Union of Concerned Scientists has on occasion faulted INPO and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission for not inspecting some plants with sufficient rigor and skepticism, and has pointedly raised the issue whether the fact that industry pays for INPO's services presents a conflict of interest that compromises its essential impartiality. End footnote. INPO does appear to have helped the nuclear power industry improve and maintain performance and safety during the past three decades. INPO has helped the industry measure its progress in improving safety standards, and has served as a vehicle for making advances in control room design, plant and personnel performance, training and qualification, self-regulation, emergency response, maintenance and radiation protection among other areas during the past thirty years the nuclear industry has improved plant efficiency significantly reduced the number of automatic emergency reactor shutdowns per year and reduced collective radiation accident rates by a factor of six compared to the nineteen eighties the industry has achieved these milestones in part through inpo's role in promoting a strong nuclear safety culture and presenting performance objectives and criteria to help the industry strive for and surpass safety goals end of section 24